Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining me today. I have an awesome guest to share with you. Her name is Perry Sean. Uh, she's the award-winning author of the book, Sell More with Sales Coaching. You may have read some of her articles in Selling Power, Salesforce.com, Entrepreneur, Sales and Marketing Management Magazine, Inc., National Post, and Forbes. Perry teaches and coaches sales VPs and their teams how to coach and increase sales and improve their client experiences. She leverages the neuroscience of leadership and buying to help these businesses grow. Her company, the Coaching and Sales Institute, has worked with such teams as KPMG, GE, Hallmark, AT&T, Direct Energy, Bell, the Royal Bank of Canada, and Rogers. Quite a stacked resume, actually. <laughs> and uh, you can join her, her Facebook community, Selling with Science and Soul, just by searching Selling with Science and Soul on Facebook and joining that group. I'm actually a member. I was just taking a look at some of the content on there. It's really useful stuff. About once a week, she goes in and gives you some sales tips in these really engaging videos or she really walks you through the steps of how to practically implement um, her, her tips into your sales cycle, whatever that looks like. And she actually goes beyond sales tips too. She talks about like how to scale your business, things like how to handle uh, pricing uh, objections, which are things that I guess that would fall under sales, but it's it's really actionable information that I found to be quite useful. So I think you guys will like it too. Again, that's called Selling with Science and Soul. I'm really lucky that she was willing to speak with me today. We we had a great conversation and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you all like it. So thank you again. Hope you enjoy. Perry, how's business going? Uh, business is actually, it's going well. I'm, I'm impressed with um, how can I say, my, the ability to adapt and my team's ability to adapt. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. So did you have to do a pivot at all when you went, I mean, I imagine you probably went from like more in-person coaching to more virtual. Is that the nature yes, of the pivot? Yes. So I have three parts to my business. I have the executive coaching that I do. I have the um, corporate speaking uh, uh, portion. And then I have the entrepreneurial uh, work that I do. And uh, so for me, part of it was I knew, I mean, anybody who listens to business stuff, we knew there was going to be a downturn in the market at some point um, and or coming soon. We didn't expect this, uh, but we knew it was coming. So uh, my business, probably about or my corporate business, 40% of it was virtual. Uh, up to as much as 60%, depending on the year. Uh, and so this just turned it 100% virtual at this point. Uh, the executive coaching side, uh, a lot of it was in person, not all of it, but uh, it's gone totally virtual. And then the entrepreneurial was all virtual already. Uh, there were retreats that we did. Uh, so now we're managing that in a different way, uh, virtually. So it, it has been a pivot. I'm a big believer. Um, I'm not sure I like the word pivot myself, uh, but I would say anybody who's in business, our job is to listen to our clients and to really um be aware of what's going on for them and be responsive. And so to me, I, I, I prefer to use the word responsive versus pivot sure, at this sure. point. Cause it, I think in some ways, some people have been overusing the word pivot. And when they say pivot, they, they make the shift without consulting clients. <laughs> and to me, the most important is, you know, you be responsive to your clients and then make what shifts that, that match that. That makes sense. So instead of kind of like a broad sweeping change, you took it in a case by case scenario and kind of rolled with the yes. punches. Well, there was one other piece that I found that when when COVID hit, my business just overnight was like I was busy from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed 
uh, including the weekends, uh, just because there was so much strategy that needed to be done uh, at an executive level and then training of teams in order to be prepared for this new world that they were in uh, because they weren't used to working in that virtual world. So that was a pivot just <laughs> or responsiveness in that moment uh, for a period of weeks. Uh, and then that, um, how do you say, the urgency of that sort of uh, came to a, a balance. But it was... I've never seen any people make such quick decisions in such a short period of time. It was pretty major. What uh, what did some of your, I mean, I imagine a lot of the response that you had to make that you're referring to is a response in the curriculum that you teach as a coach. Um, a, is that true? And B, like kind of what did teams do well and not do well that you saw in response to this whole um, um, It was, ex yeah, it was executives helping them with strategy to figure out, it wasn't really content. It was individually one by one, knowing their company. I had long-term relationships with my corporate clients. And so how do they adapt uh, in this new environment? What what does, because I do a fair amount of work in the, the financial world, whether it's banking, insurance, um, mortgages, you know, in, in that realm. And part of it was, all right, not only how do we make this change, how do we adapt in serving our people, uh, but how do we serve our teams? How do we uh, plan for, it's like, at one point it was like, let's just throw up our, our goals for this year, you know, because we, we, based on what was going on and all the, the adaptations that they were making. Um, and, and now they're, you know, settled and, and clear on that regard. Uh, and also about, you know, when do you bring people back into the office, depending on where you are mm -hmm. in the world? Uh, some of them aren't back in the office yet. They're still all working from home. And how do you manage that? How do you manage? Um, there was a high productivity for people right away. And then in this fall, there seems to have been a drop off in productivity. And how do you uh, manage that as a leader, CEO, uh, you know, senior exec uh, in an organization to help your teams. Also with some of the mental health challenges that some people are experiencing with being home so much, uh, that's a, a challenge. So there's, there's a lot of, I'm going to say, adaptivity that on my side to be responsive to my clients, uh, depending on what's going, going on to, for me to be able to to actually, I mean, my job is where are you at right now? Find out what's going on. And then, all right, what are we going to work on today? What can we work on in helping you solve today that's going to have that impact long term or short term, depending on what's going on? So is that why you went with the route of one on one coaching rather than like an online curriculum? Like you, it's much more personalized. Yeah, for senior execs, it's it's all personalized. Uh, and that because everybody is facing different stuff. The other thing that came up too, uh, and still plays for some people, depending on what industry they're in, um, uh, I'm all about the neuroscience and I'm also kind of a geek of, of human behavior as well and quantum physics, how it applies to human behavior. And part of the neuroscience teaches us that, you know, our response to something in this moment that we're in right now, um, isn't only a reaction to what's going on in the moment. It's just like money's compounded, our mm -hmm. emotions are compounded. And the research shows that we actually compound it based on past experiences. So in some cases, I'm, I'm also doing, um, you know, deep personal work based on um, 
this quantum physics applied to human behavior. So um, I really <laughs> was quite, you know, depending on the circumstances, adaptive in that response for the executive. That's super interesting. So it, it almost sounds like you're in, in that context, like a business therapist, almost like you have to, <laughs> for example, this is just an example that's coming to mind, maybe it doesn't apply. But like, you know, you have to not just respond to how they need to take out a, a loan now in order to cope with, um, with COVID, but also how has debt affected them in the past? And how what, what's their emotional reaction to debt and that kind of a thing? Right. And one of my clients recently called me, what was it? A corporate mystic. <laughs> and, and part of it is because, you know, depending on the circumstances and because I, I know a lot of the clients that I work with, I have long-term relationships. So I know the dynamics within the organization. And so my job, you know, shift a little bit here, shift a little bit here. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see how this plays out in terms of uh, getting you the best results. And that's the whole goal. I mean, I, and you'll notice that I don't get into real specifics about what goes on uh, individually, because I'm, I, you know, everything that I talk about is confidential with them. Uh, the, even, even the person who's paying for, for me uh, doesn't know what's happened in the coaching uh, uh, conversation that I'm having with the team, just that my focus is to continually keep them performing well. That's, that's my number one focus. Uh, and whatever that is, is wherever we go, according to what will get them to be performing at their top. Very interesting. Uh, I want to talk more about the neuroscience component of this, because I think it's something that sets you apart from a lot of other, um, a lot of others in your space. Tell me, I found some references to like, you did some work with some grad students coming through some research of, of uh, neuroscience papers, things like that. Could you kind of speak to what that process was like and, and what you learned that maybe some business people like yes. me, I'm sure there's so much information, but any, oh, any yeah. high level stuff. You should see the piles and piles we went through. Um, <laughs> so for neuroscience grad students, and we, I am very specific about what I wanted to learn. And, and we did this for years. Um, and the specifics that I wanted to know was because all of, all of the things that are happening inside of an organization or outside of an organization with clients is through conversation. Okay. I'm also looking at I'm reading the research around eye tracking and skimming and scanning and what we notice for anything that's written. But the majority of what I've done is through the conversation. So I'm looking at, I've done primary research in the area of trust for 25 years now, uh, which is fascinating to me. Um, I also have been looking at the research specifically that we were combing through was research about what causes someone to do better as a result of a conversation? Okay. Or how do you build trust in a conversation? What does listening do to the conversation? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. What, what happens inside someone's brain when they're making the decision to buy? Uh, how, you know, does price impact that? But we're looking through it all through the lens of verbal aspects, uh, not simply um, you know, cause there's, there's a neural marketing, which is really interesting. I've been reading that, mm -hmm. but I'm really focused in on the part that impacts a conversation, uh, because that, and, and as we were going through it, you know, the, the, 
uh, we would meet once a week, you know, and each week we would have a particular assignment, find certain, uh, certain, um, material in the, um, in the literature, the, the, um, research. And then we come back, we have a conversation as, as the four of us, uh, well, five of us with me, and, uh, we would come over it and go over it to find out what actually impacted conversations what do we think based on the research and then take that i've been blessed to work with some pretty large sales teams as large as 700 uh in in one department wow and uh and then to be able to take this research and say okay let's see if this i I mean we're really doing the test of the test (laughs) right and looking at okay does this actually work in a conversation because with some of these large sales teams they're tracking things to such degrees in some places they have like the looks like ticker boards across you know with these um information going across in terms of the length of conversations and what's happening and that kind of thing they track so much that we're able to find out very quickly you know, does that research actually work or not? And why does it? And if we, if we say more than, you know, we found out four sentences is a magic number. If you say more than four sentences, what happens? <laughs> do we get more sales? Fewer sales. If we make it three sentences, do we get more or less? And so that testing ground uh, was a really wonderful place to be able to say, wow, okay. So the neuroscience says this, but when we try it in the real world, we're not so sure. Most of the time, uh, it was predictable, but not always. And so, really? yeah. And uh, so that's, so it's been sort of, you know, um, how you say genes that are uh, multiple, washed multiple times before you buy them are softer. Well, you know, the, 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 inf- the research that's been collected and then tested again, um, it works that much better. And uh, so mm. that's been the way in which we went about it. So. Um, and today I'm still, I'm, I'm a curious type. I really want to know. I, I'm not attached to something being right or wrong that I've done. I'm like, does this work or does it not? I'm a tester. I, w- I was speaking with someone earlier today and they said, so what sales process works? And I'm like, there's no one answer to that. It mm-hmm. depends on who your ideal client is. It depends on what's important to them, where they hang out. And it also depends on what you really like to do as an individual. I mean, this was for individual entrepreneurs. Right. Um, because if you don't like doing it, you're not going to continue to do it. So, you know, there's no magic answer. It really is testing to find out what works for you and for your ideal client. One of the things you said there really piqued my interest, and it may have just been an offhand example, but you said something about four sentences versus three sentences. What's that in reference to? And was there a finding there that can be applied broadly? Or is it the kind of thing, again, that can't really be uh, generalized? Uh, No, I can say it can be used broadly. Um, And that is, don't speak more than four sentences at a time when you're speaking (laughs) with a client. It's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, And um, once you get beyond that, we saw a real drop off and in terms of results. And that's, that's where so many people make the mistake is they think it's about talking. It's not about talking. It's about so, listening. So when I'm thinking about this in the context of my business, my core business is a, a web design agency. We make marketing sites for, okay. for different kinds of companies. So when I'm in a sales call, a lot of times they'll ask me like, so what's your process? And that's probably like the main time where I say more than four sentences, right? Cause I've got like this whole thing that I say whenever they do that, what, what should I do differently? 
<laughs> Great question. Um, here's, here's the biggest mistake I see most people make in that scenario. Because we love what we do, and I'm guessing you love what you do. I do. Uh, you, you probably get into the how, right? And you, mm -hmm. you, you go into the detail of the how and this and that. And the other individual that you're speaking with, they don't care how you do it. They just care that you can do it. So instead, don't talk about the how, talk about the what. And uh, so if they're asking about what your process is, it's a, you know, four-step process, three-step process, whatever it is. And, and if, if they want more, they'll ask. But quite often, my experience has been when you give them the high level of the what, not the how, um, typically they'll respond and they go, okay, great, let, let's get into it um, versus you know, getting into that detail. So most important is to stay up here and then um, if they ask, get into that detail. So stay away from the how. And that, that's where most entrepreneurs sink themselves is they get into that how. That's so interesting. So um, when you go into sales, sales coaching with someone like you, what's like the first you know, thing that happens? Like, I know you said you don't want to get into the details of how you work with any specific client, but you know, right. say, uh, say we were general... to start working with you. Yeah, what does it look yeah. like? What am I signing um, up for? Yeah, so sales coaching sales and executive coaching are two different things, okay. just so you know. Okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about sales coaching. Is that what's most, uh, what's most interesting? Yeah. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if we're talking, and it depends on if it's an individual or if it's uh, someone who has an organization, okay? Uh, because if it's an organization, there's typically research that I'll do with the team, uh, with the management, and then with the executive that I'm speaking with, uh, because I need to have that data. And we set up afterwards a, um, a debrief of it so I can share, you know, this is what I've learned. This is what I'm seeing. I often will listen to sales conversations to find out. Um, now, if it's an entrepreneur, what I work on first, we have a first conversation where we get really, really clear, what's the goal you know, or goals? And uh, it's interesting, many people have trouble with that mm -hmm. and having trouble figuring out what the goals are. Uh, and to me, once I know where you want to go, then I can reverse engineer how you get there. Uh, but, uh, and then also part of it too, is to manage the expectations for them. Because sometimes they have, uh, and there's a lot of things that um, people share, you know, that you're gonna get these kinds of results in such a short period of time. Um, yes, some people can. It depends on how you set it up and how much uh, background you have experience, that kind of thing. There's, a, there's variables in it. A lot of people don't see as an entrepreneur what goes, we think all of a sudden a huge success. <laughs> we don't see all the years and the work that they did beforehand right. to line that up. And so for me, knowing the goals, where are you now and how are we gonna get you there? Um, and so um, for me, that's a, that's a major component. I wanna know uh, and it may be that we develop a sales process because they may not have a sales process yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's look at your sales process. I might end up being the um, a partner in adapting the sales process to make it more effect effective and efficient. Um, a lot of um, the sales processes I see are developed without having neuroscience in mind. Uh, and so they're choosing activities to engage in somebody earlier today was trying to convince me that cold calling is a great thing. Based on the neuroscience, it's not a great thing. 
<laughs> it's, 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 it's the hardest way to start a business. It's the hardest way to grow a business. I know. Because I know. <laughs> <laughs> you've tried it, huh? Um, and, and, and the reason why is because when you call someone through a cold call, they're at zero in their buying decision, okay? Mm. The neuroscience shows that people have actually unconsciously made the decision to buy, okay? In most cases, when they reach out to you, okay? So depending on how you design your sales processes, they will be further along in that buying decision and then it'll make your sales conversations more effective and efficient. Also, certain sales uh, activities will get you results sooner than others, okay? Like writing a book, it's a long-term strategy to get business uh, versus if you're if you use referrals, you'll get business in a very short period of time with referrals. Interesting. And and also with referrals, they typically have a hundred percent of their buying decision complete before they speak with you. Isn't that what you want? That's what I, I mean. To me, one of the things I ask, and whenever I'm interviewing uh, someone in a in an organization, I'll say, "So, tell me a little bit about your referral strategy." I have yet to hear anybody come back with an answer. I don't have one. How how do you develop a referral strategy? That yeah, sounds brilliant. Ex exactly. <laughs> So part of it is, if we know that referrals is the most effective and efficient way to grow a business, I've been doing it for, I, I, I only started marketing this year. <laughs> You're going to go, what? <laughs> Based on what you do. Um, I've been doing my business for 20 years. I'm in my 21st year now. Uh, repeat and referral. And really? yeah, and uh, millions of dollars <laughs> done that way. And uh, simply by repeat and referral. And it's, I found it the most, I, I like spending time with my clients. So it, to me, it just made sense. It was more sufficient and effective. At the time when I set it up, I didn't know the neuroscience behind it. I've learned it since. Um, but that people, because I ask audiences, business audiences, whenever I'm giving a presentation, um, we define the various, you know, 25% meaning that you're most likely not going to buy 50% uh, of your buying decision complete. I call this a spectrum of buying 50% uh, that your uh, buying decisions complete, meaning that you you're window shopping, you could buy, you cannot buy. And then 75% meaning you are going to buy, you just don't know which product. And then 100% meaning you know, you're going to buy, and you know, which product. And when I ask, you know, where you, you know choose any item randomly any item they want with the help of a salesperson every group and this is thousands of people set they are at 75 percent of their buying decision complete when they reach out right interesting and then i ask so think of someone uh when you were given a referral where are you and that's 80 percent of them will be or, or more will be at the 75 percent for that first one and then the second question is around uh, when you're given a referral and you call the office uh, for professional service, um, what percentage of your buying decision is complete? 100%. 80% of the group will say 100% of their buying decision is complete. And so that's the reason for me, <laughs> for anybody I work with, I want them to have a referral strategy. And the referral strategy... Um, Part of it is first, um, making sure you're really, really clear about who your ideal client is. 
so that you can identify that for the person who you're asking for a referral from. Uh, because if you can't identify them, how are you expecting them to identify them? Uh, you know, you make you, you, the brain works like a, right, a homing right. device. You know, they, they they'll narrow in if you give them the context of you know um, that who you're actually looking for. I have some of my corporate clients. I love them. Um, there's one organization that I work with. There's three senior execs that they have a competition amongst them as to who can give Perry the most referrals in a year, <laughs> and uh, and they 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 keep tallies. <laughs> And it just becomes a, 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 a fun, a fun dynamic between them. And That's I'm a good really, game. yeah, and I, <laughs> I'm really grateful that they came up with that game. Uh, it wasn't my initiative, but I'm very grateful that they did. Um, and uh, yeah, it's made a big difference in my business, I must say. Uh, and so to me, it's part of how do you make this a natural part of your conversation? We all know, anybody who's in business, we know the value of an introduction. We don't know mm -hmm. the research behind it that I've just shared, but um, we know the value of it uh, and how much a difference it can make for people. Um, and I'm also a believer in giving referrals as much as I can uh, and introducing others to other people when someone's good. When I've had the experience and I really think someone is really great, I'll introduce them to so many people because that I know if, if I know that they need the same thing for sure um, they don't even have to ask for a referral and that's the ideal you really want to be in that sweet spot with your strategy that you deliver so well that they give referrals without you asking that's the so, ideal so I don't know if there's a good answer to this question but it interests me so does the referral have to come from a past client or can it come from like, say, a similar niche? Like, for example, I'm, uh, I always have okay. to relate this back to my business. Like if I'm doing web design services, could a graphic designer send that send that client my way? Great. And yes, that's called I refer to that as a referral partner versus a referral. OK, or a referee. Um, so uh, so a when it comes from a client who's worked with you, who's really had great success and they refer you, that's. That's the icing on the cake. That's because mm -hmm. then that person has heard how great you are. Um, I had a conversation last week with a woman uh, and she came referred to me by two people. She went out and asked two different people about who they'd recommend uh, to teach her how to coach. And both these individuals came back with my name. Wow. So when I picked up the a phone to have the conversation with her, she said, okay, we're going to be working together. We just have to figure out how. <laughs> That's a great conversation. Very effective, very efficient. And the two individuals she spoke with are individuals who know me well. I've done a lot of work for them over years. And so they both um, knew that this woman who I was speaking with was a good match uh, to work with me as well. So it's almost like they're qualifying. And the, the, the neat part is one of them has been following up with her to say, have you started yet? Have you started yet? <laughs> um, so it's kind of nice that they, it, it becomes giving referrals to others who are, uh, you know, when it's client based, it becomes, and, and, and most people don't think of this as an advantage to the actual person giving the referral. It becomes something that as long as you do a good job, um, it becomes a bonding moment for them. And they actually use it as a topic of discussion between them. And that this is evident with them. But what you're talking about with referral partners, uh, that's a way to exponentially uh, scale your business. If you have 
uh, referral partners, just make sure that you're doing fair exchange. Because if there isn't fair exchange in their mind, it'll dry up over time. Uh, and you also want to make sure that you have similar values. Uh, I've seen some referral partners not go well when the values haven't aligned. Um, mm. I think of one recently where they had political differences, um, a particular leader that one of them was totally against, the other was totally for, and started talking to the other individual's clients about how great that person was that mm. she did. Then that ended the relationship really quickly. Please. Good. Good. Um, yes. Okay, um, and this might be you by any chance? Okay, <laughs> great. All right, okay. When you're hiring the salesperson, that's, that's the place where you need to be really, really specific, okay? So what I mean by that is too many people hire the wrong individual for the sales job. So make a list, and I'm a believer of knowledge and skill, okay? And then you can also add in their relationships, okay? So what knowledge do you want them to have? What skill do you want them to have, all right? And then you also want to make what relationships ideally would you like them to have, okay? Then what you want to do in that dynamic is once you've listed out this skills and knowledge, then you design the interview according to that. All right. Um, and what I mean by that is too many organizations or too many individuals, when they're hiring salespeople, they get the salesperson, they write out all these questions they're going to ask the salesperson, get the salesperson to come to an interview, whether it's virtual or in person. And then they ask them the questions and the salesperson answers. This is not a demonstration of good sales skills. If we know that a person is only supposed to speak for four sentences at a time, we want them to be able to be concise, not talkers, right? Ideally, we want them to demonstrate the ability to ask great questions, to be able to engage people, to build trust, um, the plethora, and not to sound stilted like they're, they have a script. So um, my suggestion is make that list. Like, for example, if you know that they need to have some knowledge of your business, ask them to come to the interview, not to talk about themselves, but to ask questions to discover as much as they can about your business. Really, that's so interesting. Yeah, and switch, flip the interview. Most people don't do that. And most people, <laughs> they, they hire the wrong people because they've set up the interview incorrectly. I, uh, I have social sellers on my team and the way in which I set it up is because they are going to be writing uh, in Messenger and other places, I get them to do the interview fully on Messenger. 
Without any face-to-face communication? No face. They don't get to meet me until they've done Messenger with me and demonstrated that they have the skills. And it's amazing how many people with these big, long um, uh, resumes that look absolutely amazing can't do it. They can't engage me on social media. And so I had, I have hired a teacher, a high school teacher who she outdid every single professional salesperson because she was masterful at building the relationship through messenger. And if I had gone by the resume and had asked them to you know, come and I asked them some questions and they answered, I bet you she wouldn't have been the best one. But because I designed the interview based on the way the skills are for the role, I got the person with the greatest skills. Wow, that's so interesting. I've never heard, heard it put that way. Um, do you have any thoughts on like commission versus salary or um, incentive structures for, for yeah. sales employees? It, now, it depends on the industry. Okay. okay. Um, I, you know, with large corporations, it's a different dynamic than it is with a small business. Um, here's my belief, and, and as a general rule, we, we want to give them a base salary so that they don't, you know, they're not starving per se, or mm-hmm. if there's a bad time frame. But I also believe that when someone knows that their actions are going to get them uh, better results and then more money for them, uh, then I think we're in there equally, but make the commission worthwhile for them. Um, because then you've got, you're working together as a team rather than trying to convince the person to do stuff. They're hunting to, to find ways and make things work. You're hunting and trying to find ways and you're testing things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And then that puts you both on the same side together. Uh, rather than, you know, motivation is one of the toughest things that most people are complaining about in the world of sales. Well, if they know that they've, they're in, you know, their livelihood as well as yours, you know, you've got skin in the game, they've got skin in the game. I think that's a great way to design it. Now, here's one other, it may seem kind of unrelated, but it's, it, uh, it's something that I, I wrestle with a little bit and I've had this conversation with others too. Um, do you think that having, and this is probably more for like B2B companies or maybe service companies yeah. would be a better categorization. Do you think that having your pricing on your website or publicly available on your marketing, do you think that that's something that um, puts you at a disadvantage in a, in a conversation? Or do you think it's something that's, that you recommend? Or do you not have an opinion on it? Um, again, I'm going to say it depends. It depends on your industry. Um, I think I don't have my prices on my website. Okay, I'll say that. Um, part of the reason why is I customize a lot. Okay, hmm. but I do want my clients to be able to figure out the pricing of something so that they, let's say I've got a client that I work with, uh, let's say a new client. I've got a new client and we, because the project in my world, a project could be really big and affecting hundreds of people or it could be a smaller project where I'm training I don't know, what, 20 people or something. Um, depending on that, the, the, of course, the price is going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But I do want my clients to be able to figure out what my pricing model is so that they know I'm this much per day you know, for a presentation. I'm this much uh, if, you're, if you're doing executive coaching so that they can calculate and they can work 
and and think about it. Yeah, that would you know our budget is such. Yeah, we can bring Perry in. That'll that'll match. Uh, or they might say, you know what, this this project we don't have the budget. Perry won't match it. Uh, we need to find another solution right now. Um, so I hope that answers in terms. Yeah. Of, because when you're when you're service based, it's really hard uh, unless there's unless everything you offer is exactly the same for every person. If it is, then you could. But in many service-based businesses, the projects can go from this size to huge. And so that creates some challenges. There, I do believe, like, for example, when I teach a program, like I have a program that I teach, which is called Profitable Academy. And um, actually, it's Profitable Science and Soul Academy. Um, and that program, it's... It's customized by person, but there's a rate for it, consistent for everybody. So what I do with my team is, uh, because I've got a sales team, um, what I do is before they can have a conversation with us, we make sure, one, that they've watched a certain video so that they understand what's in it in the program and that they've actually gone to the landing page so that they know the price before they have a conversation. Uh, and in that way, we've qualified them enough because that's a different kind of sale dynamically than if someone's calling, you know, from the corporate world to my world where a project can be here or here. So it really depends on what you're offering um, and to who. So we're arriving kind of at the topic of sales cycles and sales processes. Um, and I have a feeling I'm going to get another, it depends here, but those have all been interesting. So I'm okay asking it anyways. Um, do, do you think that there are any consistent elements of a good sales cycle? Like for example, do you always have to pre-qualify your leads before you call them? Or is there like a four step thing that every lead should go through before you're willing to get on the phone with them? What, what is the, or even after the phone, I think I, I stopped that too soon. So yeah. get on the phone with them, convert them. Like what, what are the elements of a good sales cycle? Um, great question. And I'm going to say depends again. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, there are, there are real answers once you know the details of what's mm. going on. Uh, but I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a believer that a, a decision to buy can be done in one conversation. Okay. Uh, unless there's things that need to be, and, and I, I think part of what we need to look at is what's the decision to be made in that first conversation. If it's a large project, the decision can be, let's move forward and let's work on what the details are gonna look like, okay? Mm -hmm. that, that to me is considered a sale. Um, it's not the final sale, but it's, it's a sale. Um, or an agreement to do the research. That's, that's a sale that we're moving forward in that direction. Or I'm not a match and we'll find someone else for you who is, okay? Um, so that's part of the dynamic. And, and just to give you a sense, um, I, I use over uh, 20 tools in my sales processes, depending on what's important to the individual. So when I have a conversation with a senior leader in an organization, I will have multiple emails ready to go <laughs> on my computer. Actually, I, I have them pretty much preset with attachments, okay? And so that I can use them during the conversation with them to help them save them time and isolate what's really going on. And 
so to me, so let's say I'm having a conversation and I, I know it's going to be a, a senior VP of sales. Okay. And uh, so I know it's going to be sales related. I have a tool to diagnose what's going on with the team. I have one with regards to sales coaching, uh, et cetera. I try and find out ahead of time, but just in case I don't know, or it may come up as we're talking that they think it's about sales coaching when really it's about sales, or it may be both. So I have these things ready. And depending on what's going on in the conversation, I will pop it off to them and say, are you in front of your computer? Yes, I am. Great. Um, huh. let me send this to you and, uh, let's say document, you know, it'll help save, save time, you know, bring us down to the fewest number of things that are most important to you to get the best results from your team or from you or from your sales, whatever. And your sales process, if you whittle it down, like you want to be really clear about how clients are coming to you. And notice I'm saying coming to you rather than you going to them, mm-hmm. okay? That they're coming to you. You set up your sales processes so they're self-identifying, coming in your direction. Then you have the conversation. And then um, you, during that conversation, depending, I'll pull out the tools that I need. And then when the conversation is complete, um, I'm a believer. I'm not a believer in scripted. I got to be really clear about that. I'm a believer that we, depending on who you are, the conversation will shift. It's like ballroom dancing, you know, you follow mm-hmm. your partner. Um, yet when you're sending out emails, there are fundamentals that were within emails. So I have shortcuts that I'll use and then I'll adapt and edit uh, to make myself more efficient afterwards. Um, but to me, the depends is based on who the ideal client is, where they spend their time. Um, I'm a believer that you set up your sales activities so that you have short-term wins, long-term and mid-term, okay? Meaning that you have multiple ways in which they come to you, that you're testing them all to find out which ones work best. Uh, And then you use that for them to self-identify and reach out. Um, That ultimately is the most effective and efficient way to do it. not with cold calling. <laughs> um, referrals. <laughs> referrals, ideally. Uh, that's one. Uh, speaking is another one. If I mm. if I speak at an event, I'll get a percentage of the group as much as 50. Uh, one time I had 70% of the group uh, follow through and um, decide to buy. So it's, it's a, a balance, I believe, in a balance of one and many. So one to one, which is a referral, one to many, which would be like a, a podcast, <laughs> I, um, right. a speaking for an event, uh, uh, YouTube videos. Uh, there's multiple ways in which to set it up. Uh, there's no shortage of them. Uh, it's just being realistic about how long afterwards that they will make the decision to buy. And here's yeah, a lot of people don't put this into their system. And I think it's real important is to look at how they come to you, when they decide to buy, and when they get their results. Because when they get the results is when you start getting referrals. Oh, interesting. And so build that into your system so that you know uh, when you're getting those referrals. So when you say build that into your system, do you mean, you know, set an alert in your CRM for like 30, 60 days out? And yes. Make sure that like, hey, let's take a look at your whatever result. Yes. So you want to, you want to make sure that you, one great time for our testimonials, but most important mm. is the referral because the referral is what will drive the business. Very interesting. 
Um, I was going to say change subjects, but actually now that we're on the topic of CRMs, um, I think of a lot of companies that I've worked with, you know, when you're, we, I work in websites, right? So a yeah. lot of the time they're using that same transitionary period to move into a new CRM system and really overhaul their entire marketing and sales processes. Yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of times I've seen companies struggle to adopt a CRM uh, of any kind. And I think one of the reasons for that is some of them have like large sales teams and they have issues getting buy-in from all of their, whether it's agents or calling uh, cold callers or, or whatever it is. Um, do you have any tips for any of those people or um, do you think that it's a fight worth fighting? What, what do you think? I think it's a fight worth fighting. I, and I think part of it is the way, I mean, it's sales, right? And so you got to sell it into the sales team. And too often, the uh, from what I see, is a CRM has been sold in as an advantage for predicting of numbers, uh, which isn't an advantage to the salesperson. I'm I'm actually doing a session on Friday this week with a team, and what we've done is I I've worked with the team internally, uh, so I've got multiple departments helping us design this particular event. And part of this event is, I've been working with them for years, so uh, working with their CRM is a uh, something I'm familiar with. And what we're doing is this company with the sales leadership, we've got the sales team, we, they've bought in to the actual CRM that they like using it because mm. it helps them. That's the reason why. So what we've done is done some specifics now that we're in um, you know, the time frame that we're in and how this year has been an unusual year. Uh, this particular organization is doing very well. And how do they navigate in this new world using their CRM as a gift? So we've designed certain things with their, their team that does the technology for the CRM uh, to make their life easier. And uh, so that's, that's what a CRM should be. Make their job easier so they can get more business, so that they make more money, so that they can do the things that they love with their families and the people that are important to them. I have one more question about this, and then I want to talk about leadership because okay. we've been, I, I just keep getting interested in the things you say. So the uh, for CRMs, one of the things that I think overwhelms people is like how many options there are, right? If you yeah. go, go look at Salesforce or Infusionsoft yeah. or any of these, there's yeah. so many fields and there's so many pages and like it's a ton of stuff and no one's ever going to get it all. Right. What are the most important things? Like if you are setting it up with a new company, like what are the, what are the basics you've got to start with? Okay. You're, you're, you're going to not like my answer. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> you predicted it. Does it. It, it, does. it really does because, um, first off, it should be what's more, most important to the customer or the client. Okay. That they're selling to, uh, why? <laughs> because if you're not measuring those things that make a difference for them, the team won't necessarily engage in those particular things. So those need to be part of it. What's an example of one of those? And again, it really depends on the industry. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it, oh, I'm thinking, yeah, some of the, the things that, it, and everyone is very different. And some of it is, um, yeah, because it, it really varies depending on the product that they're selling or the service that they're selling. Um, but include in it product, 
okay, or service, whatever it is, okay. um, because you want the team to be able to look and see really quickly which products are being purchased by whom and what patterns that they notice. Mm, because a okay. CRM is not just a measurement of sales, it's a strategic tool. And it's not only a, a strategic tool for leadership, it's a strategic tool for salespeople. Um, one of the things, and it depends on the industry too, okay? It depends on what they're selling. But I have some of the organizations that I work with that the salespeople commit to half an hour a day that they are just gonna look strategically at their CRM data. Wow. Yeah. Why? Very interesting. Because then that helps them decide what they're going to do and not do accordingly. Uh, also, which to be able to identify which customers or clients are the most productive um, and most efficient for the company. Um, I'm a believer sometimes you want to fire your clients, you know, the ones that aren't a match. Uh, and help them find someone who is a match. Uh, but if they're not a match, um, then it's time they're feeling it, you're feeling it, you know, let them move to where they'll get what they need. Um, so it really, it really depends on what you're selling um, and what information does the team need, does leadership need in order to make strategic decisions. Obviously, you know, the price of the products, the, you know, the amount of business, that, that kind of thing, but mm -hmm. um, those are no brainers. But we also want what's most important, what products, what can allow us to look at the information strategically uh, to say, oh, I'm seeing a pattern. You know, now, now that we've had a you know, change in marketplace uh, because we need to be responsive and our, our CRM can help us to be responsive if we choose to. I'll tell you, I found that to be very true in my business. One of the things what? that we do in our pre-qualifying stage of our, of our process is like we ask them what their reasons are for needing a new website. And that's yeah. one of like the main entries in our CRM. And what I've found is that when I look at the reasons for needing a new website, I can yes. predict whether or not they're going to close. Because yes. if, that, if that reason is something that I am the specialist in solving and we have a lot of good Bingo. examples of, like that person's worth my time. Yes, that, exactly. That, uh, that's good advice. Okay, so leadership. I've been wanting to ask you a couple of questions about this that, again, practically apply to me, so hopefully they apply to other people too. Um, I just hired a new intern, and okay. recognizing a flaw in myself, uh, training new hires is a weakness of mine um, because I'm a very independent person, and yes. most of my most successful employees are too. Yeah. Um, but I don't want that to, I don't want to get a million of the same person in my organization. Right. You know, I want to get people who I want to, I want to foster independence, not necessarily just expect it off the bat. Right. So my goal for this person is to train her so that the rest of she can, you know, achieve the rest of my team's like technical and creative ability and client communications and be like a functioning member of my team. But yeah. more importantly, I want her to like stay with us for a long time and feel connected to the team and like have this not just be, you know, a summer internship or winter internship in this case. Uh, I want it to be like a long-term career for this person. So right. what are some things I can do right on day one or following that uh, to set the tone for a great career path with my agency? We have interns that work with us too. Um, one of the things I found that gives them the greatest success is helping and, and you know, we're in the process of deciding you know, who we're going to have that we'll take on. Um, and part of it is to give them a project that they're responsible for. 
in partnership with other people in the company where they are to report back and do things. One is to see how, how much they take charge of that project. Okay. Are they one who can run with it with a lot of structure, a little structure? Most people, they need one of three things from us, support, structure, or challenge. And so are they someone who needs a lot of structure to be able to run with things? Are they someone who needs the support and rah, rah, rah? Uh, or are they someone who likes the challenge? And everybody responds differently. Also, stress impacts things, too. When people, mm -hmm. you know, if something goes wrong in their life, their family or someone's ill or whatever, then there'll be changes in what they need. But um, I find that when I give them something that they're responsible for, I get to see, and I also like to build in some learning in it. Why? Is because someone who learns is going to be continually on the front end of things versus someone who you give me something to do and a task, I'll do the task, it's done, what do you want me to do next? Okay. Instead, someone who wants to learn and how well they learn and report back their learning, and I hope some of this is making sense, mm -hmm. so that they have autonomy in what they're doing but they know who to touch base with and who to report back to. And when I say report back to, it's not about, you know, someone to be their boss and telling them what to do. It's, you know, here's what I found. This is what I've learned. Um, let's discuss how I move forward and meet with them on a regular basis. Um, meaning depending on the role, again, you're hearing that word depends. Um, sure. But it's, uh, like, for example, our, we're in about once a week with our interns, give, and they're working virtually, uh, and they're working on a specific project, certain timeframes, enough structure, but not too much structure, so that we can see what they're really like, uh, so that they see if they match the culture. Because sometimes when we do interviews, we don't always pick the best person. And mm -hmm. internship is a great way to find out if someone's a match for your culture, for a role that you would like them to do. I also look at how willing are they to take on something and adapt? You know, are they willing, like for example, um, if we're in launch mode with our entrepreneurial business, it's pretty much all hands on deck. Do they join in and do it enthusiastically or are they like, oh, but I really wanna get back to what I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking for someone who's uh, a collaborator um, and who also can dig in. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Um, do you think there are any mistakes specifically that I should like watch out for that you see a lot of people, entrepreneurs make maybe newer entrepreneurs that would, you know, a lot of fumbles? Um, at the beginning, give more structure rather okay, okay. than it's easier. Um, I was a high school teacher my first career in life. And I, I had two rules with the students. Don't ever whine <laughs> and, and don't stand by the door to leave class. Okay. That, that, those are the two things. If you do either one of those, you're going to bug me. Other than that, we're going to get along. Okay. Uh, but be, re be really clear about who you are and what works for you. But I find that give, having more structure with things and then opening it up with time versus being loose at the beginning and then having to put structure on, it doesn't, doesn't work in the dynamic. Uh, so at the beginning, we're meeting more often, we're checking in to make sure you know, things are going well. Um, one of the things in particular with our in interns, 
they really want to learn. They really are enthusiastic about it and excited. Um, and I'm, I'm checking in. I ask them every week. So on a scale of one to 10, how much is what you're doing interest you? And if I'm hearing anything less than an eight, then we talk about, would you like us to shift what you're doing? Uh, because I want people in the role of whatever they're doing to love what they're doing because they're going to do better if they do versus if they are just doing it because, you know, it's an opportunity to make some money. Hmm, nah, not the way to go. I guess, how quickly do you expect them to, to, to learn? Do you have expectations that you're going to like get we better at your job very, very quickly? Do you have metrics in place? We do. Um, we, we do that individually depending on who they are and we build it up. We build the complexity. Uh, so for example, um, we're right now, someone's working on uh, our strategy for a YouTube channel. Okay. So we laid out, you know, what does it look like? What do you need to learn? What is this, you know, and we figured out how many hours each week it would take. And then, um, and then, you know, that takes two weeks. Okay. So that, that by the time we reach the end of the two weeks, then what's next after that? Well, then we have to do the SEO and the research and the FA, uh, FAQs. Okay. So then that'll take another week. Great. Then we will be, and then I make them, I build things in so there's accountability so that week one, they're reporting their learning of what they learned to the leadership. And then the next week, week two, they're reporting their learning from week two to the leadership. And then the mm. questions are asked, da, 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 what does this mean that we need to be thinking about in terms of our strategy? Uh, do we need to build in a day for filming? What does that look like? How much time will we need for editing? What needs to be included in editing? You know, all those things so that they feel accountable for and they know what the benchmarks are that we're looking towards so that we know we have a specific day in which the filming is going to happen so that means they have to get their stuff done mm -hmm. and meet with the leadership and give enough information that we're really clear about the strategy so are you making that plan with them or is this something with that you them. come up with and propose to them no with them and just, is that because you think it'll get buy-in more quickly? You can get a sense of how long they think things will take. Is that the yeah. reason, rationale there? Yeah. Cool. And we're a team. And, uh, and mm -hmm. it also helps them take ownership. Because if I dictate it, it's my agenda. If they're part of it, it's their agenda as well as mine. One thing that I've seen you talk about on, I think it was LinkedIn specifically, um, you make a, a stark distinction between coaching and reviewing results. And I thought that was yes. really interesting because I think this is probably a victim that, or a misconception that I've fallen victim to, where yeah. I think that when, when I'm thinking about like, okay, how am I going to improve something that, uh, something that my team's doing wrong, we're going to look at it together and we'll say like, okay, so this is what you did. This is what I would have done differently. And I try and do try it in as friendly and as like constructive as, of a way as possible. Do you have a different perspective on how that kind of conversation should go? Yes. Okay, let's hear it. Sorry. Teach me. <laughs> All right. Um, for me, part of it is uh, that the team member bring to the table what they want to learn. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, be very specific. So they will know where they messed up. They will know where it didn't go well. Unless they have very low awareness, which is very unusual. And if their awareness is that low, you may want to consider them not being part of the team. Okay. Okay. Uh, is my, from what I've seen over time. Uh, and when they bring it to the table, you say, all right, so what do you want to work on? 
you know, knowing that this is our outcome goal that we're looking for, what's the highest priority thing that you can be working on to help shift that? Oh, the highest priority thing I could be working on is this. Okay. So tell me about what you did last time you engaged in that. Well, I did this and I did that. And, you know, we go. And so you, you get really specific, not theoretical, because we can all go theoretical. Mm -hmm. Don't do theory, do reality. Because theory, I mean, <laughs> think about it. In terms of theory, if we look at our society uh, and we're looking at, you know, um, health, let's take that for a topic in terms of weight. If we ask people what would be the healthy way to eat to maintain a healthy lifestyle, I think everybody would agree, you know, vegetables, proteins, some complex carbs, you know, th that kind of thing. Yet, if we ask them what they did, say last Saturday or whatever, we're going to hear, you know, fried chicken, French fries and a double chocolate sundae. What's not, uh, theoretically, we know our actions don't always match. And so therefore, with the team, um, it's about getting to specifics of what actually happened and then helping them shift what happened because the results are a byproduct of their actions. We want to coach the actions. We don't want to coach the, the results. We monitor the results, but it would be like a parent saying to a child, you got a, you got a D, we want you to get an A. So let's make sure you get an A next time, okay? Mm. <laughs> it's not going to help them. But I if see. you say, all right, so you got a D on that one. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, you know, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Oh, okay. And so if you wanted to get an A next time, what would you do? Well, I guess I could do this. Maybe I should have proofread what I handed in. Hmm, that might work, you know. And so it gives you a different approach when you're focusing on what is it that led to those results? Because all results are just a byproduct of what we do. Um, the results are, are not the coaching part of the dynamic. The, the results are the monitoring of the behavior. That's how we measure what they've done, but it's not what we coach. So do you typically initiate that conversation or do you wait for the employee to come to you and say like, hey, I don't think this went super well. This is what I, I, I schedule let's it. have a conversation about it. I schedule it. So schedule it. I schedule it so that every week they have a conversation or every other week, depending on what's going on. Like if we're in launch mode, all hands on deck. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not having our coaching conversations that week. Um, but we, uh, they'll come, they'll bring whatever it is that they're, they're working on. And then we, we take it from there. I think this is the most important thing I've learned today and I've learned a lot today. So thank you so much. This, I need to start setting up like these weekly coaching sessions. This is, my team, if you're listening, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I love it. Well, this has been such an insightful conversation for me. Thank you so much. Uh, you're very welcome. Perry, where, do you, where should you direct people if they want to connect with you? Um, is there anything else you want to say? What, uh, where can people find you? Uh, easy way to connect with me on social media is LinkedIn. Or if you're interested as an entrepreneur, I, then I have a group uh, called Selling with Science and Soul in Facebook, where I go live once a week and I share uh, ideas with, that'll help you grow your business. So There you have it, folks. Thank you again. This has been Perry Sean. Thank you.